Christmas is an amazing season. The lights, the sounds, even the smells of the season ignite our senses. We love the music, traditions, and the joy of the season. It's full of memories, family time spent together, great food, laughter, hot cocoa, and an open fire. There's Santa Claus, reindeer, and awesome Christmas movies. Scrooge reminds us of our humanity, the Polar Express, the power of believing, and the Nutcracker, the magic of childhood. Under the tree are gifts. There's a gift giver, and we must receive the gift. For Christians, we know the Christmas story. Gabriel appears with a declaration. Mary will have a child. His name will be Jesus. Joseph will do the right thing. There will be shepherds, a host of angels singing hallelujah. Eventually, some wise men show up with a star guiding them. Herod tries to kill the Messiah, and they escape to Egypt, and God protects them. Long before this, the prophets declared his coming. God's promises will come true. But what promises are we talking about? What's the bigger story? It's God at work in all humankind to knit us into his story. Long before the story of Christmas, God began paving a way for the Messiah to come. He made a series of promises with all mankind to restore all things. This is the story before the story of Christmas. Long before Mary, Joseph, shepherds, and wise men, God made promises to redeem all things. These promises are called covenants, and they are important to understanding the entire story of Christmas. And yet, most Christians have never really heard of them. Of the five major divine human covenants, Jesus Christ fulfills and is the fulfillment of each one. Christ is the second Adam. He is the perfect image of God, and he comes to restore all things. Why are these covenants important? It's because through them, Christ shines his light into the darkness of the world. In Adam's sin, all must die the wages of sin, which is death. But through the second Adam, one is made alive. God will rescue and restore us, and this gives us hope. He is the seed in whom all the nations are blessed. A prophet greater than Moses will come to save his people. A son from the line of David who rules over the nations, he will usher in a new covenant by his blood. God will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. These are the promises of God. So let's dive deeper into the Christmas story. Long before Jesus showed up, God made a way. These echoes stand as a foundation for what Christmas is all about. Renewal, faith, love, grace, hope, fulfillment. God is a promise keeper. So this season, let's move beyond nativity and dive deeper into the whole story. Promises made and promises kept. Man, I'm looking forward to diving into that series. I mean, like the video said, as we made it, it's, we know the story of Mary, Joseph, 
the wise men, whatever it may be. But do we understand when, when people say that Jesus fulfilled the promises of God, what are those promises? And we find those in the Old Testament that long before Jesus arrived, God was making a way. He was paving the ground ahead for the Messiah to come. And so this Christmas, I'm just looking forward to a little bit of a deeper dive as we're going to go in and discover what those promises were and be reminded that throughout all time, God is a promise keeper and he will keep his other promises as well. That is the blessed hope that we have and the faith we hold on to. So I'm looking forward to that. Before we dive into this uh, teaching today as well, just a quick update on some of the construction. You don't see it as you come into the building here. As they go into Pleasant Hill, it smacks them straight in the face uh, when they walk in. Things are down to the, uh, they're down to nothing. The drywall's off in many areas. They're putting walls up, taking some down. Uh, this week, they're roughing in the electrical there, and uh, they'll be coming with the low voltage because we're putting in uh, a new fire suppression system as well for the daycare, and uh, so there's a lot going on behind the scenes. We're expecting drywall to be started maybe late next week, certainly the week after that, and uh, carpet arrives there in, in flooring around mid-December. So we're throwing our, uh, our darts at that January 2nd date, and hoping it's the case, uh, but if you've ever been in construction, you know uh, how much control you have over the process, and that is none. And uh, so we're, we're just trusting the Lord as it's going forward, everything's going well on that. Why do I bring it up? Because you don't see it necessarily, but number one, that was part of the REACH initiative, and when you give to the REACH initiative, that's the big piece of moving us forward into the future to be a blessing seven days a week in our community. But for you, here's what I want to remind you. Everything we're doing there, getting that daycare set up, getting the building ready, is for us to then turn our eyes to Ankeny and take you to the next level as well. We're starting there, and then we're coming here. Absolutely nothing has changed. The REACH initiative is moving forward. We're walking through the plan as we put it down on paper, and so know that. Again, I will say it with no uncertainty, you will not be in the FFA Center forever. We are coming this direction, and it is, we just need to get that one buttoned up, and then we're going to be putting our eyes out in this area to discover what's next, what does God have in store for the Ankeny campus. So thank you for your faithfulness to reach. Continue to be faithful with it. And just know, I believe this with all my heart, the best is still yet to come. We're looking forward to that. So let's dive in. I'm going to pray real quick uh, before we go in. Lord, uh, may my words be your words and my thoughts your thoughts. May this time be a time where we humble our hearts, take our hard hearts and make them a heart of flesh, if you would, Lord. Forgive us of our sins, and uh, Lord, just help us to just have eyes open to what it is you have to say uh, about this amazing thing called church, the need for community, and why it's so important not only to us, but for our friends, our family, and those around us. So this is your time, Lord. I give it to you. Amen. We started this series several weeks ago, What You Build Your House On Matters, with a story. It was a story of a friend who called me up one night frantically. I hadn't heard from him in a while, and suddenly I have this hysterical friend on the other end of the phone. And as I began putting the pieces together in between the hysterics and the crying and everything that's going on, the pieces I picked up on was first there's a gun and it's loaded, it's in the car and that's a real problem. And the second is that his wife left him and he's running out of money. He doesn't know where to go 
what's next, you can only just imagine in the moment. But what really caught my attention was the question he asked next. It's a simple question, but it floored me. He said, Shanks, where's your God in all of this? In the midst of the crying and the pain and the heartache, where's your God in all of this? And you know what? I didn't know what to say at the moment. I didn't even know what to think. Oh, I had some bumper sticker, you know, pithy things I could have thrown. I don't know, I don't know let go, let God. That, that works. Uh, you know what I mean? I didn't know what to say in the moment. And the crazy thing is if you had been around my friend months before, him and his wife, they were just this perfect power couple. I mean, when you saw them, they always had their act together. They're always well-dressed, put together. You know what I mean? You know, people like that, they make you sick, you know, uh, <laughs> you know that sort of thing. They, when they walked into a party, they were the light of the party. It's like a lamp turned on suddenly, and they were fun. There was a lot of laughter, and they both got great degrees. They were like at the top of their class, got incredible jobs, well-paying jobs out of college. And so if you had looked at them months before, you would have said, man, they are picture perfect. They've got it going on, man. They, they, they are a picture of success. And then suddenly, without any warning, the bottom drops out. And I've got my friend on the other end of the phone, hysterical. My friend and I would do life together as best we could for a while, just talking, trying to pour into him, learn more about what's going on, walk through the divorce together. I'd invite him to church, and he came once or twice. The truth of the matter is he didn't want to come, and he kind of had good reasons not to. I mean, first off, he was angry at God, and second off, his wife had been a Christian. That wasn't awesome. Um, you know, his parents had been hurt by a priest when he was a kid. Uh, he had been turned off by all the failed pastors and scandals that you see on TV. He certainly didn't like the televangelists constantly asking for money. And the reality is, is the people he hung out with in his people group, they were hostile to God, religion, church, everything. So, so he didn't have a compelling reason or, or a significant why he should be at church every week. In fact, I think he said more than once to me, he's wondering why he should waste that two hours. And the reality is, I, I didn't feel like arguing with him over it, because I don't know about you, I've never argued anybody to Jesus, to be honest with you. All I had for him over time to say was a simple verse that Jesus said as he was out meeting his new disciples and inviting them in, and that's in John chapter 1, verse 39. It's a simple verse where Jesus said, come and you will see. No great argument. No magnificent speech, just a simple invitation. Come and see. The journey starts there. And he would come to church eventually. And I would love to tell you, man, the Sunday he came finally and donned the doors that the pastor, man, he, he spoke the most incredible sermon you have ever heard. I mean, he brought the lights down. I, I mean, my friend by the end of it was in tears. And when they invited people forward, he's moving people out of the way, running forward, surrendering his life to Jesus Christ. And it didn't happen like that even slightly. Not even slightly. Because the reality is his life was a minefield of hurts and pain 
that needed to be navigated through. He had a long way to go still for him, and it took time. My friend would get connected into a men's group, and they'd start doing life together. In that men's group, he would meet a man who he'd start having coffee with. He'd start mentoring him. And um, come to find out that man had walked through a difficult divorce as well. So he was able to have conversations with my friend I, I couldn't have with him. And I'm so blessed and thankful he did. But the reality is with my friend that eventually he would say yes to Jesus. He would get baptized. And man, those were amazing days. It's great. But that still wasn't the end of the conversation. Because the truth is, just because you say yes to Jesus doesn't mean that suddenly he, he has this magic wand that all your hurts, pains, and failures in life magically go away. The scars are still there. They still need to be dealt with. The reality is it's just that in this new life with Christ, you have a new perspective in which to walk towards new life. And so my friend still had mess to deal with. And when you come to Christ and when you get more serious about this journey, it's, it's going to be the same way. I, I, every now and then I hear a story where someone's like, yeah, I said yes to Jesus and everything changed. I just don't see it very much. You know what I mean? For most people, they have to walk through the hurts and the pains and navigate that journey together. Rally on my friend is the journey looked more like this. It'd be three steps forward and two steps back. He'd fall off the horse. You'd have to encourage him to get back on. Just the minute you think, hey, he's soaring, he's flying, he'd do something stupid and was right back where he was on something else. And that was the journey back and forth, up and down. And, and, and you know what? In my sinfulness, I, I got to tell you, there were times where I just wanted to, I'm done, <laughs> enough's enough with him. But we can't do that. My friend, he was messy. His situation was hard, and at times, it was just downright frustrating. It took a lot of patience. But don't give up. Yes, healthy boundaries will be necessary sometimes when you're navigating with someone like that, and that'll be a topic for another day. But expect, and hear me on this, expect messy people to be messy. Not a profound statement, but you hear what I'm saying? Expect messy people to be messy. And this is why my friend needed a group of people to come around him, a church, a community to do life alongside him. We've said this many times before, but you'll hear it many times before because loneliness is, is a plague in our culture today. One of the greatest lies the enemy will try to convince you of is that nobody cares. You can fix this on your own. They don't want to hear your problems. They don't want to walk, walk alongside you on this. You'll figure it out. We have an enemy that speaks lies into our ears. John 10.10, Jesus would tell us about that enemy. He would say, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's your enemy. That's his mission statement. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And again, we've used the analogy, but I really want you to get it. You watch National Geographic, and you've got some wildebeest out in a field, and the lions are watching them. Which one do they go after? It's the one that gets away from the herd. 
It's the one that falls behind. It's the one that gets isolated and alone. When the enemy can convince you that nobody cares, that you can do it alone and isolates you, you are lion food. That's what our enemy does. But you know what I love? That's only half that verse in John 10.10. I love the second half of that verse. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Jesus wants you to have life to the full. And I believe this with all my heart. If you want to truly experience life to the full, it can be many things. But at the core, you will need a community of people and a healthy church to come around you to help guide you through the good times, the bad times, the difficult times, the hard times, and even the times when you get to go at the top of the mountain and yell at the top of your lungs, God is good. You have to have a community of people that you navigate together, a healthy group of people who will love on you, hold you accountable, nurture, encourage, and move you along in your work. And that's so great. Church is amazing. But before I paint too rosy a picture for you, I want to take a couple steps back and explain to you what I think church is. And we've talked about some of these things before too. But don't you know, as a church, sometimes we need to be reminded of things every now and then? Every now and then we need to get refocused. So let's talk about this thing called church for a minute. Especially if you're new or exploring or just came to Radiant. The first thing you need to know about church is this. Church is absolutely full of messy people. Absolutely full of messy people. People like you, by the way you somehow think you've arrived and if you're one of those folks who thinks that you've got your act together maybe you're like I, I got to see uh, Mary Poppins here recently maybe like Mary Poppins you are practically perfect in every way if that's you and that describes you run for your life we're gonna ruin you I promise you <laughs> absolutely promise you no perfect people allowed they're not here Radiant is a group of misfits, a group of messed up people who need the power of Jesus Christ every single day. It is only by his grace and his mercy that we navigate this life, and nobody has arrived. And yes, while we stand boldly at the throne of grace and we can approach God with courage, and while through the blood of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, that we can have righteousness, that we can be redeemed, that we can be pure in the sight of God, I want to remind you that behind the scenes you're an absolute mess. It is only by the blood of Jesus Christ that you can come before God. And so before you get too big of a head, realize that in everything we do, we are a group of people who are in desperate need of a Savior because the ground is level at the cross. For some, they say, I, I think I'm too messy for the church. And please don't believe that lie. You are in a room full of messy people. People who need Jesus just as bad as you do, and people who think and have doubts about themselves sometimes, and the enemy speaks lies into their ears sometimes too. Welcome to the club. But you know what that means? May we never forget this, please. 
Do you have any idea what happens when you take a bunch of messy, broken people and throw them in one room? Let me tell you, a best bunch of messy, broken stuff. See, sometimes, a lot of times, people come to church and they're expecting perfect people and they're expecting a perfect situation, a perfect thing. And, and by the way, I get the privilege of trying to talk with people uh, who are going to get married, uh, young couples and pre-marriage counseling, things like that. You want to know what most of my time is spent doing in that? Managing their expectations. They come into that marriage with all sorts of expectations, whether true or false, and you have to manage them. And what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to manage your expectations about what church is as well. I do believe it's the beautiful bride of Christ, but man, it is and can be full of messed up people sometimes. And when you put them all in a room, messed up stuff can happen. So I'm sorry to admit this, but if you sit around here long enough, someone is going to say something that upsets you. I just promise it's going to happen. Someone here, if not a group of people here, are not going to meet your expectations. It's going to happen. And the church will never, ever be everything you want it to be. It just can't be everything to everybody. Radiant, though, this was a big shift for us in the last few years. At, at first, I used to call it, I was tired of the show, but more and more, I started thinking about it, like, Lord, what really changed? What was the shift at Radiant? And I real, realized what it was. The big shift we had to make a few years ago was to stop worrying about what you wanted to hear and instead tell you what you needed to hear. And what you need to hear is truth, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's been a big shift for us in the last few years. And I realize that, that church can be frustrating for some people. But our primary goal is to introduce you to Jesus and help you to become more like him. And so you might say, well, I've been hurt by the church or I've been hurt by a church before. So have I, really badly. I get it. Some say the church is full of hypocrites. I agree. Radiant has some too. See, church isn't a community of perfect people. Our worship services aren't designed for us to come and celebrate our perfection. Our worship services are come for us to worship His perfection and to give Him glory. And in the process of seeing God for who He is, to be reminded of who we are not. And it brings us to our knees in brokenness and reminds us of our utter and desperate need for Jesus Christ every single day and everything that we do. It is by grace through faith. All of us, as a messy group of people here, desperately need a Savior to transform our disordered lives. And that's ultimately what it's about. It's about transformation and like any healthy relationship, generally healthy relationship, it starts with surrender, it starts with submission, a willingness to put aside our agendas and our expectations sometimes to, to show people the same grace in which we've received, to put aside our personal agendas and get real with each other. Because that's ultimately what needs to happen here. We need to get real with God and we need to get real with each other and lose the pretenses. And I remind uh, our partnership class has gone through this here recently. Maybe you've been through partnership as a big piece of it. I, I want to remind us of something that's so important. Church is not a place. 
It's not something you do. It's not something you go to. You are not at church right now. The Bible's very clear about this. You are the church. The church is the people of God, living out the mission of God, shining the light of Jesus in order to bring transformation in their communities. You did not come to church today. You are the church. And it's in your actions and living out and becoming more like Jesus that we learn to love God and love others more. But to be clear, you do not attend church. My dear friends, you are the church. It's a living, breathing organism that represents Jesus Christ. When they see us in action, they ought to see the love of Jesus Christ at work and say, I need that. I need that. And if you're new, that's radiant. This is who we are. It's not about Sunday morning to us. We're glad you're here. But Radiant's asking the question, what does it mean to be the church throughout the week? What does it mean to shine the light throughout that? I'm less concerned about the event and more concerned about your transformation, and I'm more concerned about our community's transformation. And so when you ask me to describe this thing called church, I'll often just say, well, it's not always pretty. It's almost never perfect, but it's us. It's us. Yes, we're imperfect. Yes, there are pretenders here. Yes, there are hypocrites here. And here's the really good news. We've got room for one more. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. My friend got better over time, a long while, because he got involved in a church. Whether it was up or down, backwards or forwards, it was endurance, patience, a willingness to go for the long distance run and not the sprint. But I want to be clear about something because I run into this all the time. I got to tell you, I, I run into this constantly talking to people. Church is not a formula. It's not a curriculum. It's not a checklist. If I do these things, I will somehow have arrived. If you ask me what I think church is, and, and I've talked about this before, but I'm going to say it again because I really want us to get this. If you say, Jason, what do you think church is? What does it look like? I will tell you, I believe in growth by pickle. And before you think I've lost my mind, hang with me for a second, okay? Trust me on this. Growth by pickle. What do I mean by that? Well, if you've ever made pickles before, I have. I enjoy it. There's two main ingredients you need. You need brine, and you need a cucumber. Now, in this analogy, the brine will be the church, and the pickle will be you, or the cucumber will be you. And let me ask you this. You take the cucumber, and you throw it in the brine. Is it now a pickle? It's not. What is it? It's a wet cucumber. It's all you got. If you leave it in the brine a couple days, do you have a pickle? No, you don't. You may have a marinated cucumber now, but it's still not a pickle. See, the process of that cucumber becoming a pickle takes a good deal of time. It can take weeks, a month, a couple months even, over time. 
It's a chemical reaction that occurs. You open the fridge one day and you look in, you can kind of tell. It's changed color. It's a little different. It's no longer a cucumber. It's a pickle. But here's the question I have to ask. Do you know the exact moment in time that that cucumber became a pickle? Can you pinpoint when it happened and exactly at what point it, it transformed from a cucumber into pickle? You can't. You don't know. It's just that over time, as it absorbed, as it marinated, and as it soaked in the brine, it was transformed into a pickle. It has been my experience of 20 plus years of ministry that growth looks a lot less like a checklist and a lot more like a pickle. There's something about just getting into church, gathering around a group of people, doing life together, teaching, learning, holding accountable, loving, walking through the good times and the bad times. And you look back, you may not know when, you may not know how, you can't pinpoint a moment, but you look in the mirror and one day you go, I'm a pickle. Right? You'll do that. I trust me on this. But you see what I mean? We're always sometimes looking for these moments. And these moments can be important. Hey, I got baptized. Hey, I decided on Jesus. All good stuff. But to wake up truly one day and say, you know what? I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That can look a lot more like a pickle. And sometimes it takes time. And like my friend, what I'm trying to tell you is we all need to be able to do life together, to soak, to absorb, to marinate in this journey together. And over time, we will be transformed. That's how it works. And so really, it's less about the moment of time, and it's really all about the brine. You know what I mean? That's how growth happens. My friend would grow over time. Staying with a church, staying with a group of people was really healthy for him. He would move away from where I was at and kind of go back to where home was. And there he got involved in a healthy church as well. Got in a men's group, started doing life alongside them, was involved, reading his Bible, growing. And it was at an event at that church on one Saturday night that he would meet his future wife. She too had gone through a very disastrous divorce and a group of women from that church had come around her and helped her navigate through that time and work through it as well. And, and, and slowly over time as they began to date, they decided to do it different this time and put Jesus at the center of their dating relationship. And as he then proposed, they walked through pre-marriage counseling and the pastoral staff was allowed to speak with them and work through some of the pains and the expectations and things that needed to be worked through. And then when they marched down the aisle this time, Instead of signing a contract, they made a covenant with God to put Jesus Christ as the third strand in that marriage. Completely different. But I still couldn't answer the question, where is God in all of this? That would come about two, three years later as I got invited to a birthday party for their two-year-old child. And it was only just sitting there taking it in that I remembered that question he had asked me many years before. Where is God in all of this? 
and now I had the answer. He was in the beautiful smile of a two-year-old girl running around having a good time. The warmth of a beautiful, loving wife. A couple who now spent time on their knees praying to God. God was in the mess. And we held on to the hope of restoration. And now he is the God of healing. It can be hard to answer the question in the midst of the hurt and the pain, where is God in all of this? We don't always have the answers to that. All we can hold on to is he's there somewhere. Sometimes it will take years to figure it out. Even like the pickle, sometimes it's only looking in the rearview mirror that we realize the transformation that's occurred. But faith demands that we hold strong and we hold firm. Is my friend perfect? Nope. He's got his good days and he's got his bad days. But now, he navigates them where God is his standard and Jesus is his measuring stick. And through the good and the bad, he has a community of people that come around him and do life with him and help him walk through the hurts and the pains. And my friend is becoming a pickle. I hope you do too. Let's pray.